Hi, I'm James Rodier, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to bioscience.oxfordjournals.org. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to take just a moment to tell you about a new AIBS program, which is our Communications Training Bootcamp for Scientists. It's an intensive two-day program in Washington, D.C. that will help participants translate scientific findings for non-technical audiences, as well as learn how to engage with media and decision makers. The idea is to help ensure that policy is informed by good science. And if you'd like to learn more, go to io.aibs.org forward slash bootcamp. And for today's episode, I'm joined by Vicki Martin, who has just completed a PhD in citizen science and science communication at Southern Cross University in Lismore, Australia. She's here to talk to us about a large-scale study on public interest in marine citizen science. Now, we've talked about citizen science on the show in the past, but this conversation gave us a chance to look much more deeply at some of the issues involved, those relating to public attitudes, study design, and the potential for growth in the field. So let's get straight to that interview. Vicky, thank you very much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks very much for having me, James. Um, before we get too deeply into the topic and about your article, um, I was hoping that we could set up a working definition of citizen science, you know, just so that we're all on the same page there. So could you describe briefly, you know, what is citizen science and, you know, why have we been hearing about it so much recently? Oh, well, there's, there's lots of different definitions um, being thrown around, but for me, it's simply uh, research that involves the public in the scientific process in, in some aspects. So, uh, the most common citizen science projects tend to be ones where the public are assisting with data collection or maybe data analysis. Uh, and we're seeing uh, the trend worldwide partly driven by the ability um, of technology to connect public um, members of the public with scientists and scientific research. Um, so that's greatly enabled by all these amazing apps on our smartphones and, and that sort of thing. But there's a, also a push um, from many governments who have seen, um, particularly in Australia, uh, US and in Europe, um, to um, drive citizen science for the benefit of um, the relationship between science and society. So we're seeing a lot of funding being put into citizen science projects um, around the globe. Great. Now, I was hoping you could talk just a little bit about one of your findings, which was that those who were most likely to participate in marine citizen science were also those who knew the most about science and were already the most interested in science. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that group? Yes, that was something that was very clear. I mean, it's a difficult thing to study um, people who are disinterested in citizen science when you're sending out a survey about participation in research. But we were able to get enough people in this much smaller um, subgroup in, in the survey who are disinterested and they tend to not have, um, uh, not be as highly educated. They're certainly not interested in science and, and not highly educated in, in science either. So we can't draw any um, very definite conclusions, but it's given us some insights into uh, the types of people who are willing to assist uh, marine research anyway, uh, and they, they do tend to have higher levels of education. And I think the really surprising thing from the survey results was that um, remembering that this is more of a description of the types of people who are interested in research uh, was that 
about half of them were um, highly educated, so they've had uh, tertiary or higher education. And many of those have tertiary education uh, in science as well. But about half of those people with the tertiary education in science are not actually working in the science industry. So this makes me think, well, maybe uh, those people see citizen science opportunities as a way to um, keep up their skills in science or maybe make, make the best use of their um, training in science, even though they're not working um, as scientists. Oh, so you have people who, you know, have a have a strongly scientific background, mm -hmm. uh, but are not in a position for whatever reason to put those skills to work professionally. Mm -hmm. and, and perhaps that's driving their interest in citizen science. Yeah. And that brings up a whole lot of other questions. <laughs> We'd do more research. But uh... um, before we get too deeply into, you know, the results of the survey, I was, could you describe a little bit uh, the structure and the scope of, of that survey um, and sort of what you were hoping to learn from it? What were its objectives? Sure. Well, I, I really wanted to find out um, three things. So if, why, and how the public want to get involved in marine research. And this is largely because we see um, the push for um, more citizen science in Australia, but also because our national science engagement strategy um, states that marine science could present lots of great opportunities to connect more Australians with science in general. So I, I really wanted to take a national um, approach to this research and it started by uh, conducting 110 face-to-face -face interviews with marine users and this was in four very distinct regions of Australia. So that's when we on the ground talking to people at boat ramps and fishing spots and um, divers and yacht clubs and all, all sorts of people. Um, and that really helped to inform the questions for the national survey. So the second phase was um, this national survey, which was delivered online. And that saw um, 145 fully completed responses from marine users all over Australia. So we managed to get responses from every single state and mainland territory um, of Australia. So that was really great. It's just one question on the on the, those face-to-face -face interviews. How are, how are you recruiting those people? Are you simply going out to the fishing spots and the dive spots and um, asking people if they were willing to participate? Yes, that's the way I did it. Um, I really wanted to talk to people that perhaps wouldn't otherwise uh, respond to an online survey uh, just to get a really broad sample. So I was being a bit selective, trying to make sure that I got a good range of ages um, and different interests. And uh, uh, sometimes it was a little challenging um, because I wasn't sure about approaching some people, but Usually in those situations, it ended up being the most amazing conversations that I had out of the whole, the whole project. So, um, yeah, it was well, well worth doing. And, and that's what I've tended to do in, in the past in my previous research roles. That's fascinating. And, and how did you recruit the people for the online survey? Yeah, well, that, that was a great challenge. Um, anyone who knows about conducting national surveys knows that they can be very expensive. So... Uh, the approach I took, um, being a student with a very limited budget, was um, during the interviews I 
asked people um, about how they were connected um, online and, and that sort of thing, knowing that I was going to conduct an online survey. And uh, I also asked them about um, what it would take to get them to fill in a, um, an online survey that would take about half an hour on that same topic. Uh, so it was very clear that um, the marine users in my target audience were highly connected on Facebook, much more so than I anticipated, uh, and that they were really keen on prizes. So I managed to gather up some sponsors who donated some prizes for, the, uh, for a prize draw and um, then set up a Facebook account uh, with information about the research to help um, share and promote. But Facebook wasn't the only, only method. We also uh, sent out media releases. Um, in addition to that, I sent out 60 um, tailored media releases to um, individual coastal newspapers. We contacted uh, marine-related magazines and... Um, online forums everywhere, fishing forums, kayaking forums. Uh, I had a, a really substantial email list to contact um, Sea Scouts and um, Surf Lifesavers, all sorts of different interest groups around the country. Um, it, it was just, it was absolutely massive. <laughs> uh, but, but Facebook was, was really useful. So I ended up having amazing conversations via Facebook with everyone from crayfish deckhands in, um, on the other side of the country to um, uh, commercial fishermen, uh, divers all over the country. It was a really useful platform for this type of research. And, and what did you find from it? Uh, the people you were talking to were, for the most part, heavy marine users in mm -hmm. one way or another. How did you divide those groups up? Well, I asked them about all of um, the activities that they participate in in the marine environment just to get an idea of, um, you know, the types of activities that these people um, like to do. And then I asked them out of all of those activities, which one do they prefer the most? So which one do they identify with? And um, that enabled me to group them um, into three key groups. So there were divers and um, recreational fishers. And then everyone else um, got grouped into the final group I just called other, so other marine users. And that enabled some um, really useful comparisons for um, the type of citizen science um, projects that I had in mind. And so were these by and large people who had participated in any, in any citizen science projects in the past or had not? Well... In the study, in the in the survey, I presented a hypothetical marine citizen science project to them because I wanted to drill down into um, uh, trying to uncover some of the barriers and the drivers for participation in marine citizen science, and that really uh, required a case study approach. So for that, I asked them whether they had submitted any photographs of marine species to a um, citizen science project in the past and uh, only about a fifth of the respondents had. I actually suspected that it, it might have been higher than that mainly because um, people who participate in, in uh, citizen science already are 
more likely to answer the survey than not. And so, so you'd had about a fifth or twenty percent had participated in citizen science before. Could you tell us a little more about the um, the hypothetical citizen science project that you discussed with them in the survey? Um, what what kind of thing were you asking them about? So I modelled it on one of the um, the only national um, citizen science projects. Um, in the marine environment in Australia, and that's called REDMAP. Um, people can find out um, information about it by Googling uh, REDMAP Australia. Now, REDMAP asks people to submit sightings of uncommon marine species in a particular area, and what they're trying to do is determine which species are shifting um, or extending their normal range um, due to changes in the marine environment, such as the, the warming currents that we've got um, moving polewards, so south for us down down under. Um, and so certainly in some of the interview work I did, I was talking to fishers in particular uh, um, in southern Australia, are starting to see some of the more northern species moving into their areas. So for some of them, this is a fantastic thing because they're suddenly catching prize fish that they used to have to travel for. Um, so what I, what I did in the national survey was um, set up this um, situation or scenario where there's a hypothetical project asking um, for contributions of photographs of uncommon marine species for a particular area. And um, I really wanted to know what uh, whether people were willing to submit photographs um, to science uh, for this sort of project, uh, what some of the barriers were in particular, um, what some of the outcomes were that they anticipated from participation. And uh, that enabled me to also look at um, what what their past experience was. Have, have they contributed to that sort of I call it opportunistic citizen science. So it's basically where people see a marine species, um, take a photograph of it and um, submit it to a scientific database of some sort. And and what did you find? What was, you know, the general marine user's willingness to participate in a project of that sort? Uh, well, it was so I had some general questions as well. So, so generally, um, people were really willing to contribute to marine research of any sort, um, not necessarily the hypothetical project. So, so to start with, um, yeah, the the number of hours that they were willing to donate to scientific research was actually much higher than I anticipated, and because there were not a lot of um, the majority had not contributed to this type of marine research before, it really showed that there's quite a vast untapped or as yet untapped um, pool of volunteers who are willing to participate in research. Now, there were, were some caveats. Um, some, some people were, um, uh, would you say, more mildly interested rather than really highly enthusiastic. But um, yeah, generally, there are a lot of people who are willing to give up at least um, a day a month uh, to, to assist in marine research. So that's really good news for the direction that marine citizen science is heading. That's great news. So that's a full day of, a full day of work a month. Yeah. Yeah. There was a fairly significant group that um, uh, uh, expressed that. And um, half of the divers were willing to volunteer at least once a month. 
And over half of all the respondents were willing to volunteer at least seven days a year. So that's a, a week's worth of fieldwork. Purpose. Yeah, I mean that, that strikes me as a, an enormous potential resource for, mm. for researchers. Yeah, and and by and large, I would imagine untapped because only you know twenty percent of the sample has been has previously participated in a citizen science project. Yeah, so that's um, not all citizen science. It was only um, the photographic type citizen science where they're submitting photographs of marine species. So they may have assisted in other types of projects, um, but essentially due to the you know, the space limits, I wasn't able to explore other areas that they'd um, maybe contributed to. Okay, so it sounds as though, you know, there's this large population of people who are um, spending time participating in, in, in using the marine environment, and they are highly educated, um, at least many of them, mm-hmm. um, about science in general and marine science in particular. And they're they're willing to be put to work. So, what's the next step? How can they be in further engaged in this type of project? Well, and that's why I really wanted to understand what some of the barriers and the drivers um, are for participation. So, um, not reported in this particular article, but in another analysis of some further survey questions, we determined that um, one of the the main barriers for people is their assumption that they don't have enough uh, knowledge about marine species to participate in a project like the hypothetical one. So from my my perspective, communication or effective communication is really driven by really good quality audience research. And this is something that we need to do um, much better, uh, but much more often as well. So I see a lot of citizen science projects being set up without um, a lot of audience research being conducted. But that once we know what the audience's interests and um, communication needs are, we can tailor projects uh, to, to fit those needs much, much better um, and be much more effective with our engagement. So we want to ensure that recruitment but also volunteer retention is really high and, and retention is one of the highest, uh, one of the most challenging aspects of running a citizen science project. So um, I, I really see that we have to be a bit more audience driven um, in, in our approach to, to a lot of citizen science and, and that's really for the glaringly obvious statement I'm about to make that, you know, there's no citizen science without the public. So there's no point in setting up citizen science projects that people are not interested in. And in fact, I had one marine scientist say to me, oh, but I've tried citizen science and no one turned up. And that just really emphasises that point that we need to, to do better audience research. Right. And, you know, one of the terms that jumped out at me in the article was um, you mentioned deliberate design and Mm -hmm. um, sort of tailoring the project not only to the research need, but also to, um, you know, those who you hope to enlist. Um, And how does that manifest itself? How is that research best effective? I guess, yeah. So the research that I've conducted for this article gives a a bit of an overview of general um, interest in, in marine citizen science, but then it's that each project will need to do their own audience research because it's context specific. Um, each audience will have, have very different needs. And we saw that um, in some of the questions that I asked, such as the preferred um, roles that they'd like to play in research. 
Now, across the board, all groups were most interested in data collection, but their second preferences varied um, greatly. So fishers were more interested in helping decide uh, the research topics. Uh, divers preferred to help analyse um, the findings, and that probably goes hand in hand with the divers having a much higher um, scientific training than any other group. Uh, so they probably feel more comfortable in analysing the findings. And um, the others, um, the other marine users said they preferred to help communicate the findings. So we see that there's some very large differences between groups. Now, there, there's various ways in social research to um, go about some audience research, but my recommendation would be really to take a subsample of your target audience and really try and drill down into um, uh, some, of the, some of the burning questions that you'll have about engagement. So what, what sort of roles are they interested in? Uh, how much time, how do they want to engage? Um, you know, feedback we know now is extremely important. And it's an often neglected area um, in many projects. The people who are contributing, they want to see that their their um, efforts are being are, are being taken somewhere and are being used. So um, I I took that to heart with this project as well. So I maintain the Facebook page to feedback the results to everyone, um, and also an email list to everyone who participated in the survey, so that I can send send the results back out um, to the community as well. And you mentioned earlier, the, you know, the troubles with retention. It was a lack of feedback one of the things that fed into that? Yeah, there's, this, this came up a number of times in the face-to-face -face interviews that people had said that they've assisted um, either marine research or marine management um, in the past and then hadn't seen any outcomes from that um, assistance and and a lot of people expressed um, this uh, sense of being burned by the process. So I think this is really important um, to keep in mind that these citizen science projects are nothing without the volunteers. So we we have to make sure that part of the the very um, nature of the project is that that feedback process. It doesn't end. At data collection um, for, for the citizens. Um, so I think that that is key. And as I mentioned, ret uh, volunteer retention is a significant challenge in citizen science. We're starting to see some data coming out in that. And this is um, a question that I'd like to explore um, in further research at some point. So trying to work out which, which factors are really important for um, retaining volunteers in the, in the long term. Okay, so just thinking about it from the practitioner's perspective, um, it's, it seems like the most important things are to first do your audience research, so uh, to know something about the people you're hoping to recruit mm -hmm. and, and what sort of tasks that they are eager to do. Um, and then after that, to make sure that you have an open line of communication with them and so that they get an actual sense that the work that they've performed uh, has been useful scientifically. Yes, yeah. Um, we also found that a lot of volunteers are really eager to learn a lot more about the marine environment. And given that one of the um, barriers that we detected was this um, assumption that they didn't have enough knowledge about marine species to be able to participate, um, we really see that 
creating opportunities for people to learn more um, is is a really important part of um, marine citizen science in this context anyway. Um, so, so providing some extra opportunities um, and th the other thing is to really acknowledge some of the important um, skills and knowledge that the volunteers have. Um, I know not, not all scientists think this at all, but some of the scientists I've spoken to assume that the public don't have, have the skills or the training to really contribute to robust, robust scientific research. Yet if they're um, trained at the um, higher education levels in science, there's no reason to um, uh, think that they can't contribute to research in, in really reliable ways. So uh, I think yeah, it all goes back to understanding the audience too, but um, I think really taking, you could, there's the potential to make the most out of the um, volunteers' skills and knowledge um, to really um, push the project in, in all sorts of ways in the future. And speaking of that, you know, that level of capability that some participants have, um, what does that look like? You mentioned earlier um, among the divers a propensity for or a desire to do analysis. And I was hoping you could give us just an example of that if, if one comes to mind. Because, you know, I, whenever I've thought about or looked at citizen science projects in the past, it's always been in the context of a really basic data collection, you know, whether that's taking a water sample from one place or another or, or taking a photograph or something like that. But, you know, what is that analytical portion? How, what can that look like? Well, I, I guess the, the, the example that springs to mind most readily is actually um, ones like Galaxy Zoo, um, which is not marine related at all, but um, rather the opposite. Um, Galaxy Zoo asks people to help classify images of um, of galaxies so that, you know, it greatly enables the processing of millions of images. Now, Galaxy Zoo's um, managed to recruit volunteers from all over the world, just hundreds of thousands of them, and it's been incredibly su successful. Um, at a much smaller scale but marine-related, uh, we had a project here in Australia called Explore the Sea Floor. Now, they, they asked people to help process um, images of uh, kelp and um, sea urchins. So um, a lot of school students got involved with, with that as well. So basically it was um, assessing the percentage of um, sea urchins and kelp on the sea floor through uh, just... Oh, actually, I'm not quite sure how many thousands of images, a lot of images anyway. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, they had to identify when a dot um, was on top of um, a piece of kelp or an urchin. So so that's one way. But I suspect there's, a, there's actually um, potential for a lot more in terms of actually getting people involved in, in more of the statistics. If that's their training and that's their passion, um, there's no reason that for um, members or volunteers not to get involved um, if they're willing to work with the scientists on, on those sorts of aspects. Uh, there's, there's talk of it from what, what I've detected. Um, there may be projects out there that 
um, once they see that volunteers are, have, have certain specialties, they perhaps bring them on board as part of the team. But um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not too familiar with some of the finer details of projects around the country. But yeah, there's certainly great potential there too. And this may be, um, you know, this this question may have an Australia specific answer, but I'm I'm curious because it, you know, it, it it often comes up. But um, you know, how, do you have any advice for people who may want to become involved in citizen science? You know, those those of our listeners out there, um, you know, who whether it be in a marine environment or not, um, you know, are 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 eager to do some citizen science. They you know they want to collect some data, they want to do some basic analysis, uh, they want to put those you know scientific skills that they may have developed at one point or another. Uh, to use, where should they start? Yeah, there are a lot of on online resources for people around the globe to look up um, different citizen science projects wherever you are. Um, there's some that are um, very specific to the US. Um, we've got some in Australia, uh, which are, are um, being added to all the time and um, the database is um, still being developed. Um, so there's, there's plenty of uh, resources um, and Google searches will point you in the right direction. But the US, Europe and Australia all have citizen science associations. So if you look up your um, country-specific um, association, you'll find a lot more information on their websites as well. Great. And we'll make sure that we include some in the show notes as well so that um, you know anyone who's eager to get out there and to do some citizen science is able to. One last question, which is, um, what's next for you and your research? What are, what are you hoping to look at next? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm currently waiting for my PhD to be examined. Um, but what's next, I'm hoping, will be a postdoc to pursue uh, more of my interests in creating or how to create better connections between science and society. And this is most likely going to be through more um, research into citizen science. And there's certainly plenty of scope for social research in this area. And um, it's, it's quite an exciting field to be working in. Great. And that seems like a great place to leave it. Uh, Vicky, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, James. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you and talk to you next time.